1: You're
2: listening to the best of Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5. The
3: Fan.
4: Jake, I think you've said this quite often regarding Lamar Jackson or just regarding the Colts in general, that they're not a quarterback away. Um, and I think that would be one of the bigger questions I would have about acquiring a Lamar Jackson type is, again, how are you taking care of the other needs? Because I think there are other needs, both sides of the ball, short-term and long-term. And giving up two first-round picks, you already see the frugal nature to Chris Ballard. When he has cap space, he wouldn't have it. Moving forward with Lamar, that would be a major question. I think Jim Irsay accurately pointed that out at the owners' meetings last week in that the best time to build a roster is when your quarterback is on a rookie
3: contract.
5: I think Nestor pointed out some really good things. Uh, really interesting things, I should say, just about Lamar Jackson and kind of the drama of him. You
4: know there I mean? is a little bit more drama, and I'm glad that it was a great idea to get the Baltimore perspective on it. For those that missed it, Nestor, I appreciate sure we just had on radio voice in Baltimore a long time. There's just a lot there. Quarterback is such a desperate position, the fact that the NFL is totally silent, it seems like, on the Lamar Jackson situation, uh, there's a lot that plays into it. A lot that plays into it. Um, And I think you are seeing that. I did have to laugh at this one from Dan. Dan goes, Chris Ballard should run the Pirates or Orioles. That way no one cares that he puts fiscal responsibility over winning.
5: I I mean, it's starting to feel that way, isn't it? I'm not saying that's the case. I mean, obviously he wants to win, but he is fiscally conservative. How much of that is owner-driven? Also a good question. Um. I don't think it's owner-driven because I think Jim Irsay is willing to spend money, Kevin. The problem is he's he is still paying for areas where he wanted to set a message or be loyal by paying money in the wrong spots. You know what I mean? Like, he's not afraid. To, obviously, he's not afraid to open his pocketbook, um, you know, to give a bonus to a retiring quarterback or to give to get a ring for a running back that doesn't play here anymore. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the Colts are probably when you heard Nestor talking about just kind of the sideshow of Lamar Jackson and some of the challenges with Lamar Jackson. Some franchises maybe, you know, and may rightly because he's a tremendous talent. Some franchises may say that's hey, that's worth it to us, but if you are a franchise like the Indianapolis Colts that is still PTSD'd over a quarterback retiring two weeks before the season began then you probably have a different perspective on it
4: well i think that's part of it jake and i also think that and again right or wrong i just want to kind of explain what i think chris ballard's point of view is when ballard says ballard has an incredibly high standard for drafting a player in the top 10 for trading up potentially to number three to number one etc cetera, etc cetera, for that player um, to give up two first-round picks and a you know maybe a fully guaranteed contract, like that means a whole lot to Chris Ballard, and he has a trickle-down effect. That means a whole lot to the locker room. So you better be right. You better be right on the field. You better be right off the field. For that, um, I did see uh, Todd McShay just had his latest mock draft. Interesting.
5: When you say interesting, he has the Colts selecting fourth. Is that correct? He's got the Colts selecting third.
4: Okay, now hang on. Third. Mm -hmm. A trade-up from Todd McShay. He begins as this. I've heard mixed messages regarding the Colts' interest in quarterbacks not named Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, but the veteran route just hasn't worked for them. They've started each of the past five seasons with a different starting QB, and they scored the NFL's fewest points last year. If either... Anthony Richardson or Kentucky's Will Levis is Indy's guy. It can't afford to stay at number four and just hope things work out. Boy, I could not agree more with that last sentence. He's got them trading up for Richardson, trading up one spot for Anthony Richardson. He said that it, would, would, it would cost the fourth pick, and then he says somewhere in the ballpark of a third rounder, like number seventy-nine, and a future second rounder along the way. Yeah, which again, when you look at it like that, I mean, that's that that's a big price. And for Arizona it works out because they move one spot down, they can still get Will Anderson if they want.
5: What's exactly. more interesting is that would slide according to Todd McShay. That puts Levis at fourteen.
4: I think the other interesting to point out there, remember late last week when you saw in Vegas the odds really change about Tennessee taking the QB, and there was a lot of chatter about Tennessee trading up to number three. Right. Mm-hmm. If you look at Arizona's new general manager, he comes from Tennessee. Now, Tennessee is a new general manager that that, that came from San Francisco. So there's not necessarily an overlap with those two voices. But obviously, the Arizona GM would have some familiarity with Mike Rabel and and those still within the Titans organization. So part of me has kind of looked at that two ways. One, there's a connection there. But two, how much of that could be a smokescreen? And Arizona saying to Tennessee, hey, let's just float you out there And hopefully that drives up the asking price for Indianapolis to trade up to three. Like, this is what all this time of year is about. All these hypotheticals. um, Line season, smokescreen. All of it. Richardson to me. My hesitation
5: with Richardson. I'm always hesitant with any player. Be it NBA or NFL, but notably NFL, and then when you're talking NFL, at quarterback. I'm always hesitant of any player whose stock, value, and intrigue all increase once they're no longer on the field.
4: Yeah, everything has been shorts in a t-shirt. Praise for Anthony Richardson. Correct. And that, that to me, I, I've... Especially a quarterback. I've seen this movie, right? And again, especially a quarterback, Jake. Like It's one thing for a DN to light up the combine from a testing standpoint and you just say, hey, those athletic traits, you just never fully saw them on display. When like, athletically, what he does from a testing standpoint, you would see play in and play out. Whereas a quarterback, Anthony Richardson's not going to run every play. Right. Like 54%. How worrisome is that to people? Yeah, I mean... 54%, and Jake, you watch a lot of college football. Let's be honest, there's a lot of throws that don't go past the line of scrimmage in college football. Correct. Yeah, a lot
5: of bubble screens. A lot
4: of bubble screens, a lot of zone read, you know, and I know Richardson certainly has some moments down the field, but Will Levis 64%. Anthony Richardson, 54%. I know it doesn't boil down to one stat necessarily, but, boy, accuracy, to me, that's hard to teach.
5: Jamarcus Ellis uh, Russell or Jamarcus Russell. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, Jamarcus Russell. I mean, Heath Shuler was another guy that I remember Heath Schuler coming out of Tennessee. It was like, he had a, he was a big body with a big arm and you know, man, he just, he was impressive. Leland McElroy at the combine. Well, what this guy, he got a standing ovation during his workouts.
4: Uh, Any relation to Rory McElroy?
5: No. Played for the Colts briefly. Um, yeah, Jamarcus Ellis, by the way, was one of the played basketball under Kelvin Sampson, right? Uh, also,
4: I would say some off the field, off the, off the court. Yeah, too. I was going to say. Mm-hmm.
5: I mean, Richardson, sure, I get the intrigue, I do. But at any point, how many times this year? And I did hear a little bit. I mean, to be fair, I did hear a little bit. But Kevin, you're right. I watch a lot of college football, and I and I'm during the course of the year. How often did you hear? You got to see have you heard about this quarterback at Florida have you seen yeah, this guy at Florida you he know? had a
4: really good start it was at the Utah game I think he played particularly well and then it kind of tapered off from there which is another thing not to, I, I know he had some really good moments against ranked teams but um, it, yeah it kind of kind of tapered off after that yeah
5: U, Utah he was 70 percent passer 2,549 yards through the air 54 percent completion Seven point eight average was the average yards per completion. Seventeen touchdowns, nine interceptions. Running the ball, 103
4: carries for 654 yards. A very dynamic. And running. nine touchdowns. The LSU game stands out more than any from a running standpoint. Okay, now let me
5: let me read you real quick one thing. Okay. If you look at Florida's schedule from last season, we're just going to pick one game totally randomly. Utah, Kentucky, South Florida, Tennessee, Eastern Washington, Missouri, LSU, Georgia, Texas A&M, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Florida State. Which game do you want me to pick? Oregon State in the Bowl game.
4: Um, good.
5: Go, he, with, go with Georgia. He did, he didn't play, I don't think in the, Didn't play in the Georgia game? No, no, the uh, Bowl game. Uh Georgia you said? Yeah. Okay. Against Georgia, which is a pretty good... I mean, you're seeing some guys that are going to play on Sunday, right? Well, look what C.J. Stroud did against Georgia. Uh, In that game, Anthony Richardson, 18 of 37 for 271 yards, one touchdown, no picks. 11 carries, 19 yards.
4: Okay. Do you look at 13 games of experience as optimistically or negatively? Negatively. So you don't look at it as he's got so much potential and room to grow i'm just playing devil's advocate i get it Uh, mitchell
5: trubisky had 13 games experience right oh but like his mechanics are great he looks great in the combine you know what i mean yeah i mean that's the danger that's the thing i'd be worried about
4: uh kevin want to talk a little hendon hooker kevin good morning morning you want to talk hooker Yeah, I was just wondering
5: why you guys aren't talking about him at all because his stats beat everybody's stats you're talking about right now.
4: Yeah, I I think more so than the injury and age question with him, it's a college system question. Um, And Matt Miller, I thought the ESPN draft analyst we had on yesterday, I thought he hit on this pretty well and didn't get overly technical with it. Basically, Tennessee runs a very kind of Baylor-like offense where they utilize the hash marks that are much different than – where they are at in the NFL and basically you're only reading kind of like half the field at a time. And again, I don't want to get too like crazy in depth, but I think projecting guys in particular quarterbacks out of that system is a big question mark. I also think with and Hooker... It's a bit gimmicky. And again, I know a lot of people say, well, why can't you just adapt the college system to the pro system? We've heard Shane Sikin say that a lot. Again, from a hash mark standpoint, the rules in the field is just different.
5: I also think with and Hooker, the thought process would be, okay, you slide back and you take him later, and then you still get a good piece at four. He's coming off the injury, which plenty of guys have come back from knee injuries, don't get me wrong. I agree that he's a, a a very good player, had a very good year. There's a lot to like about him. And I, I absolutely think and hope that he can be a good player in the NFL. He is a little bit older. I don't see that as the detriment that some do. But I think it becomes a challenge of running that risk. If you pass on a quarterback at four... And you take a defensive player or alignment or whatever it may be with the hopes that you can slide back and in the late first or early second get Hendon Hooker – the challenge there is, I think there are other teams that are thinking the exact same thing. I think people are calling into radio shows in Seattle asking about Hinden Hooker. I think people are calling into radio shows in Tampa asking about Hinden Hooker. I think people are calling into radio shows in New Orleans asking about Hinden Hooker. I think people are calling into radio shows in Nashville. Nashville talking about Hinden Hooker, absolutely.
4: So I do think that, that you, you're kind of playing with fire there. Uh, Patrick wanted me to do the random game with Will Levis.
5: Oh, okay.
4: I think the thing with Levis, you have to mention, and I talked about this last week, speaking with an NFL scout, and basically said with Levis, you've got to be very open minded to what he did as a junior. What he did in his junior year, there was some Matthew Stafford in that season, and then his senior year. And again, it's difficult with Levis because you quickly have to make excuses for him, and you've got to decide if those excuses are valid or not. Basically, in a senior year, everything crippled around him. Okay, and, and he, physically, he was banged up as well.
5: Will Levis, you want to do his senior year? Or you want to sure? Do it? Okay. Um Here's the schedule: Miami, Florida, Youngstown State, Northern Illinois, Ole Miss, South Carolina, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Missouri, Vanderbilt, Georgia, Louisville.
4: Let's go with the Fighting Chris Haggins. Well, which is that?
5: There's like six of them.
4: <laughs> Be more Mis- specific. <laughs> Mississippi State.
5: Okay. Uh, against Mississippi State, Will Levis. Here we go. Um, oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Sorry. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> False alarm. Yeah, I screwed that up. I clicked the wrong thing here. Um, in the game against Mississippi State, that game was, I believe, at Mississippi State.
4: A no, hostile environment with Chris Hagan shirt off in the front row. With the Will Cowboy.
5: Levis was 17 of 23 for 230 yards, one touchdown, one interception. He carried the ball four times for seven yards. Maybe, Quarterback uh, rating of 91.7. mean the one against Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois? is, is that what you said? Or you said Illinois? Who'd you say? No, Northern Illinois. Yeah. That that, that game intrigues you? Yeah. You no, know, the Huskies, right? The mm-hmm. Huskies yeah. won last the night. Huskies. You know? yeah. Okay. Northern Illinois, Will Levis, 18 of 26 for 303 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. He ran the ball nine times for na- so he was sacked nine times.
4: Sacked nine times? Well,
5: he, he had nine carries for negative 10 yards. So, what, probably seven of those were sacks, I would think, right?
4: You know, it's funny like debating these two because with Levis, the junior year is better than the senior year. And with Richardson, it's just the one year. So, like, yeah. how do you, if there again, was more Richardson, would it be more good, or would it be 54% you, Kevin, again?
5: Look at Josh Allen. Josh Allen is a junior at Wyoming, had a really good year. And then his senior year, people like, eh, his numbers dropped. He, he didn't throw as many touchdowns. It's like, well, like, three of his receivers left. They graduated. And he was throwing to guys he'd never thrown to before. You have to factor that in.
4: And I think Pat points this out. I think it's a really fair statement. The pass that Anthony Richardson gets for having a bad team around him versus the non-pass that Will Levis gets for having a bad team around him is mind-boggling. I think outside of the talent around the two, it was... What Will Levis had in place his junior year versus what he didn't have in place his senior year, like the offense coordinator change, his own health. I think those are a couple of things you have to acknowledge. Now, again, with Richardson, if he would have had a second year, do you see second year growth out of him being in the, being in the system? You know, some continuity from playing time, those sorts of things. It's, I mean, those sorts of debates you have to have, and there's no easy answer. If there was, we obviously would be talking about these guys probably, you know, one or two. Whereas Matt Miller, who we had on yesterday from ESPN, talks about them more in the uh, in the twenties. Uh, Jake, your favorite tournament memory will be what from this year? I gotta look at the
5: my favorite tournament memory. I mean, obviously, we're going just strictly with
4: does it have stuff to be favorite, the favorite or just the most memorable? Yeah, I guess let's just go most memorable. Most memorable would have to be Purdue getting ousted. Will we look? Will this be like the Fairleigh Dickinson tournament?
5: That's what's interesting about this
4: tournament. Like, I, I, I think, think it could be the Florida Atlantic tournament. It could just be the, the, the all the number ones
3: got bounced, yeah. and relatively twos, early. And twos oh, yeah. and threes. Yeah,
5: quite frankly, I think this tournament is going to be like the. I'm trying to think of a Super Bowl year. Like, give me a Super Bowl year where just some random team, what like one of those Ravens years, like Ravens-Giants where you're like... Uh, okay. Dilfer quarterbacking them? Yeah. Here comes Kerry Collins. Like, it doesn't feel like there's much of this tournament that people are really going to remember. I mean, Florida Atlantic, sure, but do they remember George Mason getting into the Final Four, you know? Um, my favorite, honestly, watching San Diego State knock out Alabama in a bar with one poor guy that was a San Diego State fan whose life was being made by it and everybody kind of enjoying it with him. But Alabama, I thought, was really good. And that was when I was like, wow, San Diego State actually is pretty good. Um, Fairly Dickinson, I mean, the way that they – watching it unfold against Purdue is probably the thing that will jump out.
4: Think about the ending San Diego State had. Obviously, they beat Alabama in the Sweet 16. Then think about the ending they had in the Elite Eight against Creighton on the foul call. And then obviously the ending on Saturday night with Florida Atlantic. I mean that to me is like the back-to-back one-point wins is like sixth or seventh most memorable thing from this tournament for me. And yet I probably should have it higher on the list because I I think I I thought how about the Furman Virginia finish? Yeah, you know going back to that opener because that was I think the first session of the first day if I'm not mistaken. You had the Virginia kid and you can't talk about it without. Purdue fans just thinking back and wanted to bang their head against the wall, but Kia Clark for Virginia, who made the incredible pass, had just such a knack for not rushing things and throwing the ball up to the Diakite guy, who forced the game into overtime against Purdue in the Elite Eight. That was Kia Clark as a freshman. Then there he is as a fifth-year senior. And he makes one of the dumbest plays you'll see in NCAA tournament history with that pass ahead. Chaotic moment. Boom. Furman hits the three. The guy had missed, what, 15 straight threes until he makes that one? Kevin Harlan goes nuts. Like that moment, I mean, is one that one shiny moment definitely showed last night. And I think probably one that should be pretty high on the list.
5: I think the thing that's interesting is this we talk a lot about the portal. We talk a lot about NIL. We talk a lot about the COVID year, the fifth year, and that the stage is set for upheaval in college basketball and a realignment of the powers that be. And yet, in the year that is supposed to be the most representative of that because of San Diego State and Miami and Florida Atlantic and Creighton and Kansas State making these runs with transfers and NILs and everything else, It's the team that in the program that for the last quarter century has been the most consistently competitive in college basketball that won it. You know, Connecticut won their fifth national championship in 24 years. That is among schools that have won at least five championships. That's the second fastest one through five in history behind only UCLA. It ties Duke. It puts them on a faster trajectory to five than North Carolina, Indiana, Kentucky. And for all of the blue bloods that were not part of the party, Kentucky getting bounced by Kansas State, UCLA getting bounced by Gonzaga. Gonzaga, you could say, is kind of a blue blood now as well, I guess. You know, Indiana getting bounced by Miami, Kansas getting bounced by Arkansas. It was Connecticut who literally is Kevin Connecticut's like the covid year of blue blood programs they're the anomaly they're the outlier because do you know anybody that's a diehard Connecticut fan do you, do you have do you see any carmel pups kids that are wearing
4: Connecticut shorts can't say that although you know, they did have good east space shorts back in the day but yeah
5: you know i you don't when when you when you get on an airplane, you see a guy wearing a full Texas suit or a Kentucky hat or a Kansas pullover, you don't ever see anybody wearing
4: Connecticut stuff. I also think the thing about Connecticut, Jake, is like their involvement, like – you know, with Calhoun, I think they were known as just like a bunch of bullies. You know, they just, you know, the beat and Rudy, uh, um, Jeff Adrian, and just some of these big right. guys, Mecca Okafor, like really good big men. And then Kemba Walker gets them on that magical run. Shabazz Napier gets them on on, on a run. I mean, you have those moments where their guard play, and then honestly, you watch them through this tournament, and Sinogo's a great big guy, but boy, just such a combination of skill around him. Let's get to one more caller getting back into the Colts draft debate. Ryan, we're going to talk about Anthony Richardson. Morning,
0: Ryan. Good morning. Uh, Yeah, I was just uh, calling to see how much stock you are putting into uh, Richardson fitting Steichen's offensive system really well. Just seeing what Jalen Hurts could do. MVP type season. Maybe uh, Richardson fits that offense
3: maybe a little bit more than anybody else's draft.
4: It's a great question. It's a great question and I would probably go here first with that jake and almost ask ryan like what is shane Steichen's system you know is it the jalen hurts is that the ideal quarterback that he wants or is it more of the herbert right or is it more of the rivers again what has staying power in this league and, and that's the beauty and the mystery of steichen the beauty is he's done it with different shapes sizes styles the mystery is we don't really know if you listen to him The physical trait I think he mentions the most is accuracy. But the trait he mentions more than anything else, it's the it factor. How are you between the years? So, yes, I think there would be appeal from a running quarterback, certainly. But more than anything, I think it's neck up.
5: All right. Listen. I'm just going to stand by what I've been saying. I, I still... Until I hear different, I'm going to say it's
4: Levis. Should we do? I was thinking I'd be fine with it. You think we should do a little mayo in the coffee here coming up to uh, get ready for Levis? I'm Jake for that. Jake should do that. No, not going to happen. You got out of the uh, St. Elmo cocktail? I'm not a big mayo person at all. I drink coffee every day. If you want me to do it, I'll do it. Yeah, I think
5: I'll do it. Mayonnaise is terrible. Now he's he's backed off that.
4: Now what mayo does he use though? Did, Did he, he use back it? off that? I mean, yeah, I've seen I him thought use he it. backed off of it and was like, listen. He just and, said he eats a banana straight, anyways. Did, it wasn't that his other thing. He doesn't peel yeah. it. He said with the with we're talking about for those unfamiliar,
5: Will Levis was there was kind of a thing that went around about how he puts mayonnaise in his coffee, and there was even I think at one point he he it showed him I think it was Hellman's putting it into his coffee and mixing it um he has since said that he and his girlfriend one morning they realized that they were out of cream oh, and oh, so geez. like oh, as
4: boy. A... where are you going with this here no no
5: seriously they they realized like oh we're out of our cream or you know whatever creamer they use they were out of it and he's like well i can't drink black coffee and so as a joke he put the mayonnaise in it that's supposedly
4: oh, boy, that was dangerous. I... Listen, I am worried, worried about Nestor. Mm hmm. Let, right. let, let, me, let me tell yeah, you. Jake let me, in the nine o'clock hour is pretty much Nestor. Let me tell you guys something here, okay? Worried, let's worried just, about well, let's just him and his this. girlfriend, they were out of Mayo. Let's and, clear this air
5: now, okay? Of the three of us, I'm clearly the more professionally mature. Well, I know about that. And, a right, bad. Right, and mm-hmm. as a result of that.
4: Yeah, I didn't have my credential.
5: Will you guys you let should, me in. You should absolutely trust me. I'm not gonna lead you astray. You know, the the innuendos and the fun little games and jokes, I've been there, done that, gotten the t-shirts, gave most away. Okay? Mm-hmm. What you're looking at here is nothing more than straight laced professional. Dialed in on point broadcast excellence.
4: It's the same guy that was like, hey, can you guys look at my back scar
5: real quick? Is it yeah. need to get bandaged up again? I forgot about that. How did you remember that? See, the oh, It's burnt that, into my brain. Well, the things that you recall. What I'd like to do is I like to share, Mark, because of this broadcast excellence of which I speak. I think it is important for the two of you, as my coworkers, to for me to be able to share each and every and and the very few physical flaws that I have. I want you to be able to see them and experience them as part of the totality of what you have the pleasure of experiencing each and every morning. So I, I, I
4: just m. wait. Ah, uh-huh, he's just like me, that Jay Query. Yep, just every humi- everyman. Yeah. Humility defined. I I'd put my back ointment on with one odd wrap else No, you, like you asked Kevin and I to do it. <laughs> Someone reach back here. I'm having trouble. I'm just saying to you, uh, Evan points out he thinks the coaching change at Florida screwed up some of Anthony Richardson's development yeah I think it's a good point to know Dan Mullen did have a track record of developing QBs I would say pretty well um you know how that would have changed and again all these debates this is what makes the decision so difficult and why there is you know such a hit rate and such a miss rate when it comes to you can't have 32 perfect quarterbacks in the NFL it's just not how uh Competition. Dave Calabro says he's calling BS on this. Now, I don't... Well, I'm right that, there with Dave. I couldn't agree more with Excuse Dave. me? You yeah. know my dad taught Dave at Ben Davis? Really? Mm-hmm. Back What, in what subject? Uh, PE and health for my father. Well, well l- Dave seems healthy. I don't know how l- physical he is. A little bit of shop class as well. You think he could do pull-ups? I couldn't do pull-ups. Uh, yeah, What was it called? Presidential fitness? Yeah, the pre- that's right. Boy, I really struggled with
5: flexibility. Um, I was not... Str- now, do they still do the rope... I'm gonna guess no. the Jim still have the rope? That Do they, was, they even they have gym class? They Do they all just wear them?
4: hazmat suits in gym class and just <laughs> run into I each mean, other? Like that? The, in hindsight,
5: I will say the rope. Like it seems like it's been a while since OSHA's gone out and checked that, right? Like you get three quarters away, and there's supposed to be one guy at the bottom. that's supposed to hold the rope for you and then that's who you land on if you fall yeah. that's how jerry and george been on seinfeld mm-hmm. by the way.
4: doesn't seem like enough waivers to sign that's off jeremy on, on i'm that.
5: coming down you just, you just, i hit the bell you, no it's not a bell it's a wooden disc we had a bell in my, my school uh, when yeah it was a wooden disc desmond mcgee actually stole uh dave maron's hat and put it on top of the wooden disc and then told him to go get it it was a little
4: bit uncomfortable us back here don't think cbs will have that as their rejoinder music though coming up this week gilmore Mark... was playing
5: they would now would it shock you guys if i told you that i've actually been to the site of the leonard skinnard plane crash in the mississippi louisiana border
4: that might be the least surprising yeah, thing you told going say us. i thought at first you were going gonna say you've been to augusta national i have not actually that you, would be you, cool do you have any desire uh, again not not a golf fan, or certainly not a big golf fan. Do you have any desire? Is that like I don't dislike s- golf? Sports bucket list. At um, all?
5: Yeah, I think going to the, here's the problem. I, some of the fanaticism that that some people have about like going to a practice round, I think would kind of turn me off to it. But I, I certainly respect. Was that a shot at me? No, and I don't mean that. I mean the guys that like feel like because they bought a pass to it, they're now like is part as much a part of golf as Tiger Woods. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I have a great respect for the the facility, the history, the heritage. I mean, it, it would be very cool, for sure.
4: Uh, to get more into this year's Masters, Will Haskett, PJ2 Radio, joins us right now. Um, Will, I guess, let's just start here. Let, let, let's fast forward to Sunday. Let's fast forward to the back nine. Jim Nance is just waxing poetic with us. What would be the dream back nine duel for you for this Masters?
2: Uh, thank you for being my friend, uh, guys, and having me on today. A little gymnast run there for uh Very long, well done. But, uh, let's, yeah, I think, boy, there's so many different ways, Kevin, you can go with that question. There are three players in the game of golf right now who are at a different level than everybody else. It's Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, and John Rom. It's been that way for about six months with Scheffler sort of responding back in the beginning of 2023, the way that he kind of burst onto the scene last year to become the top player in the game. So, if I'm looking strictly at it from a who are the best golfers in the world right now, those three, So, you'd like to see some combination of them at their peak, because their peak right now is just so much better than everybody else's. But, obviously the answer here is one of them, probably Rory, definitely Rory, against Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Cameron Smith, Patrick somebody, Reed. One of the one of the, uh, I think Patrick Reed is is lost. I mean, I, I don't I think him winning a, a Masters was great, but he doesn't have he doesn't have the overall superstar skill game that I think a tr- that attracts fan attention the way that LIV was hoping some of the guys that they were able to buy. Are are attracting sort of names. So if this was ten years ago and we were in this sort of conundrum of tours, it'd be Phil Mickelson, you know. But I think it's probably Brooks Koepka won last week. I don't know if anybody knew that or is paying attention to it, but he won the third live event of the year down in a goat ranch in Florida, which looked awful on TV. Um, but it was, you know, it's something. It's it's a little something. And if you read behind the scenes and you know, sort of hear, like, what some of the guys are saying and some of them may have buyer's remorse and some of them don't and they want to have this week to sort of prove it, then that's probably the juiciest one that you have. Um I don't think Jim Nance wants that. I think Jim Nance wants a more flowery, um, probably pro PGA tour one and sort of stay away. I'm sure Augusta national doesn't want to have this whole week turn into a referendum on live versus the PGA tour either. But I think if you're looking at it from a fan interest standpoint and you want to grab your popcorn, you want one of those marquee live guys, you know, if Bryson DeChambeau was playing anywhere near the quality of golf. He was playing two years ago, it'd be a different story, but he's a shell of his former self right now too, as a golfer. But yeah, any of those marquee live guys against probably Rory, um, gets it done.
5: Now, can an alternate golf league that plays at a goat ranch call it a goat ranch if Tiger Woods is not there? Uh, that's a great. That's a great point. That's me.
2: That's a little unfair to Orange County or whatever it was they were playing on. But it was a public access golf course that had golf going on in the other 18 holes of the 36 hole property, and it just wasn't in the best shape. Um, now, is it cool to see some of the best guys in the world play on a golf course that's a daily fee for, you know, us regular mortals? Absolutely, it's probably more similar last week to what live guys are playing on than you know, obviously this week, which is the most pristine kept property in the entire sport. But so that may be me being a little bit unfair and showing my cards here and how I view live in the world of professional golf. But um, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. If okay, Tiger's not there. It's not a full
5: goat ranch. Well, let me ask you this: Will Haskett is our guest. He's on the Payless Tigers Hotline. When it comes to the Masters and Augusta National, you know, Kevin and I were talking about it yesterday, and there are obviously certain players that their style of play really applies to Augusta National, which is clearly a challenging course. Now, I think of it as myself being kind of a golf novice in terms of my playing, I think of golf as really like one of three ways. You're either a guy that can hit the ball really far off the tee to give yourself an advantage, John Daly comes to mind. You're a guy that regardless of where your ball lands, you have an incredible ability to know what club to use and what strategy to use in terms of the placement to understand angles. Or you're a guy that is just a really good short game putter on the green. I'm being very generic, I realize. But for this particular course and what makes the Masters what it is, which of those three do you most need to be, and which player most, kind of strangely, fits the mold of Augusta National while being maybe an average player elsewhere?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I don't really think that, that there is an average player elsewhere that can be good here. I think you have to be elite. Um, with data and the in, improvement of analytics in the sport, I think it's proven that Augusta National is a second shot golf course. And so by that, it's the second of the three that you gave me. You have to be a really, really elite iron player, I think, to be successful here. Now, can you have a absolutely out of your mind short game week and roll in putts and chip, you know, and chip at a high level and be viable? Absolutely. And this is a golf course that will expose you if you're not putting well and especially if you don't have a good short game. Um, Length, I think, when this golf course got longer because they were trying to quote-unquote tiger-proof it at the turn of the century, it only played into the hands of the guys who are already hitting it farther. I think they did this as a disservice in terms of how the sport is. We've learned more about that. But yes, this is a golf course that I think in perfect conditions lends itself to guys who are completely in control of their golf ball with their irons. The greatest iron player of all time, in my opinion, is Tiger Woods. And he was elite on this golf course because you have to be able to place the golf ball in the absolute perfect positions because of the segmented nature of these greens and the slope and terms of attack. Now Phil Mickelson was really good at this golf course too, and he's a bit more of an aggressive player. Tiger, and this is kind of a weird thing to say, Tiger was a very conservative golfer. He was just really, really stinking good. And so his conservative play was better than, you know, most guys aggressive plays at the stage of his life at the stage of the career when he was playing, but for Phil Mickelson was always an aggressive player and aggressiveness can pay off on this golf course when you're dialed in. So to answer your question about somebody who maybe is off the radar, I don't really know. We don't see off the radar winners here very often. If you go back through the years, guys that are playing at an elite level of golf arriving at Augusta are typically the ones that win. The only guy in the last 10 years that I would say wasn't an elite, elite form when he won was Hideki Matsuyama a couple of years ago. And that was a really weird situation because a front came through, the golf course went from being really firm to really soft, and he took advantage of it after the rains. And Hideki Matsuyama is an elite iron player, so he could always find it when he needed to. But pretty much everybody else over the last decade, we have not had a fluky winner golf got really, really deep over the last 10, 15 years.
4: You using past tense for Tiger Woods has me a little nervous for my inevitable Tiger question yeah. that's coming up here in a few. Will Haskett, PJ Tour Radio, is with us. Will, I've been, I think, pretty clear in my stance against live golf, the lack of competition. I just don't think it's really what. Anything resembling what the PGA Tour is about from a competition standpoint and the meritocracy that, that, that comes with it. Having said that, I, I can't deny it all. It's created unbelievable drama and headlines for the game of golf that I, I think is actually pretty good from an entertainment and an eyeball standpoint. Having said that, would it be better for the game of golf for Tiger Woods to win on Sunday or for a live guy to win on Sunday?
2: Um... Tiger always you know the ratings number for Tiger Woods being in it it doesn't matter
4: what about five years down the road if you're able to create a bit of a live PGA Tour rivalry yeah I see what
2: you're saying yeah I see what you're saying um Yeah. I mean, Tiger's in a different stratosphere and to get off on a a totally different topic, I think what Liv was always banking on was this idea that people were attracted to big names and big names only. And I think we've seen that there's really only one big name over the last 25 years that truly moves the needle. He is the needle. And so I think that they've sort of failed in that structure and that they haven't created a competitive product and people want to see elite guys, but they also want to see competitive juices. They don't want to see elite guys for the sake of seeing elite guys. But to answer your question, I, I understand what you're doing. Yes. For Liv's sake, they need a good week. I don't think professional golf needs this to exist to where you are having two factions fighting with one another. The PGA Tour has come up with their sort of new solution to deal with this reality, and the tour is going to look, it's looking very different this year. It's going to look a little bit more different next year, and that's a different debate for a different show at a different time. Um, I don't think professional golf is healthy when you have two factions that are splintering the best products, the best entertainers in the sport in the two different areas. So I would say no. Having a live golfer winning helps professional golf because all it does is it, it emboldens them to continue in the path that they're on. I think I, I think you need to drive a couple of these guys out of their contracts and back to the PGA Tour. And in order for that to happen, they have to realize, oh man, I'm not sharp going into these tournaments that I truly care about because I'm not playing enough and I'm not playing enough quality rep golf on live. And I think that's the only way to say it. I'm not saying that the PGA tour is perfect. I'm not saying that it's the best thing that's ever happened in professional golf, the way that it's structured right now, but I don't think golf, which is already a niche sport to begin with, can afford to have two different things. I've I've compared this a lot of times to open wheel racing. You know, there were good sides to both between IRL and cart back in the day. I hated the split from the moment that it happened and I never think, I don't think the sport ever recovered from that split. You can't take a niche sport and split it up, even though both sides have great intentions and expect it to last long-term and then have everybody come back to that product when you finally reunify.
4: Okay, on the Tiger, I think it was very well said, by the way. On the Tiger front, again, your past tense usage and and you've always very understandably and correctly have tempered expectations of mine with Tiger here in recent years. I would say the form at Riviera earlier this year was intriguing to me. Will, uh, the weather forecast for this week, I like the start of it. I don't like what I'm seeing from rain and some cooler temps around Friday, Saturday. If Tiger makes it to Saturday, um, your thoughts on Tiger Woods at the 2023 Masters?
2: Yeah, I got to see every shot he hit at Riviera earlier this year, and, and again, it's remarkable with what his body has gone through, what he's able to sort of do. But between the plantar fasciitis, the you know the reassembled leg, it's such a hard walk. And I know that he's totally capable of doing it, and he's going to gut his way through it. But it's it's a four round tournament, Kevin, and like you know, he could be. Two off the lead on Thursday, or three off the lead on Thursday. Well, last year he had a great opening round. Right, he's got to play seventy-two holes and walk around that place, and I just—it's just going to be too hard. It's just—it's too hard on his body. We, him making the cut is great. Him being in tournaments is great. He is going to be present as as much as he can in the majors and you know three or four events a year. We're going to see him eight times a year. And let's just keep him upright. I mean, honestly, that's it. I, he I, he just can't generate. I mean, what he did in 2019, in many respects, was kind of miraculous. It proved his greatness. And then he rolled a car down a mountain. You know, I mean, it's like, I didn't think 19 was possible. Um, and then it happened. So you could say, oh, well, then anything's possible. It's like, yeah, but look at what else happened since 2019. So let's let's get him through the cut let's get as many walks up 18 on Sunday waving the hat as we can he's not going to win the golf he just he can't win the golf tournament like he's just it's. there are some golf courses out there where I think he could still compete and win this just isn't one of them because of the physical limitations that he's under right now
5: okay, here are my three picks you ready? I, and I've done a, done a long deep dive on this uh, Sam Burns
2: okay um, great putter his iron game over the last twelve months is not where it was when he was at a higher level last year. So i have worried about the iron game. But he played well in match play a couple of weeks ago. So you never know. Um, he's, he's probably got you, one of the top 10, Will, 15 putters
5: in the field. Yeah, he's got you right where he wants you with that. Uh,
4: wow. and, and he's an LSU product. If he's feeling some momentum from Kim Mulkey and company, right. Hideki yeah, Matsuyama. Oh, where's the jacket? Yeah.
2: Um, again, it just I mean, he did it. We saw it two years ago. He he. He can pull a rabbit out of the hat. He just hasn't shown me that he's the same player that we. I mean, there were a couple of years where he was, you know, top five favorite going in, and he just ironically, kind of won the year where he wasn't on anybody's radar. So, could he do it? Yeah, sure. I mean, he could. He could find that form, but he's just not the same guy that he was when even when he won a couple of years ago.
5: Okay, Cameron Young.
2: Yeah, I love Cameron Young this week. Um, the putter concerns me a little bit. He's already the young guy. He's already made a grip switch there because the ball's just not going in the hole. Um, so uh, I did an eliminator yesterday and eliminated him from being a winner just because his putting numbers are below average this year. But he made a switch in caddy a couple weeks ago. He's got Webb Simpson's longtime former caddy on the bag, Paul Tasori. I think that's a huge boost. Uh, absolute ball striking Jesse to steal a phrase from a couple of guys I work with on PJ Tour radio. He hits it a mile. His irons are awesome. Uh, I, I'm sh- bullish on Cameron Young this week.
4: Okay, I want to get to that eliminator here in just a second, but let's go back to Live. Um, 18 Live golfers in the field. For those unfamiliar with who is at, on Live, um, you've got Cameron Smith, the defending Open champion. You've got Dustin Johnson, Patrick Reed, Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, Phil Phil Mickelson. I mean, you got some household names. If yep. I set the over/under will at one and a half Live golfers to finish in the top 10, what are you taking?
2: I take the over on that one. I mean, I think DJ sets up perfectly on this golf course. He hasn't been as dominant you would think just kind of watching live over the last couple of weeks. I think Brooks is motivated um, to show that he's you know found a little something because if anybody watched the Netflix documentary and I thought the most compelling episode was his episode and sort of showing how frustrated he was at this time a year ago, realizing he wasn't as good as Scotty Scheffler. I think there's some, you know, there's some willpower in him and some burn in his gut to try and get it done. And then you could throw another, you well, know, another guy in there. Maybe Amito Pereira, who's a rookie this year, has a good showing. Taylor Gooch has been playing. I mean, there's some guys that could end up in the top ten. I think it's safe to say, you know, given 18 guys in a field of less than 90, that three of those 18 world-class players, or, or even you know, two of them, find their way into the top 10 when it's all said done. And you, you get back to our top 10s too, Kevin. You know how this sort of works. Sure. So, yeah, I think it's a safe thing to take a, take the over on that one.
4: Okay. Uh, and on the Eliminator front, again, this is over at willhaskett.com. It's a great piece, super detailed, and trying to pick the winner here. Um a little bit off the radar, and again, off the Rory, Rahm, Scheffler radar, a healthy Jason Day intrigues me. Um, what did you see from an eliminator standpoint on Day, and what did that spit out for you?
2: Yeah, Jason Day is playing at an elite level over the last several months. He reworked his swing to try and t- to take some of the pressure off of his back. Uh, every single week, he is a candidate to have something flare up. I mean, he could he could not make it to the tee on Thursday. It's completely possible. But he has been playing at a winning golf level over the last several months. I actually thought that he was one of my shortlist guys to win the players a couple of weeks ago because I thought he set up really well for that golf course. He had an okay showing when it was all said and done. Um, Jason Day has come close to winning this golf tournament before. He's hitting the ball really well. Um, it's only a matter of time, I think, this year until he wins a golf tournament. And he has the you know number one player in the world type of pedigree, the major champion, to be able to get it done. So, yeah, if you get away from those guys at the top of the sport right now, Jason Day has been playing like a top 10, top 20 player in the world. And that's what you need to be playing like in order to win at Augusta. So, yes, um, I think he's more than viable this week.
4: And on your end, did I see the completion of the Grand Slam for the Eliminator? Yes. Yeah, and that's a completely
2: objective opinion. Um, Scotty Scheffler is actually playing better golf right now than he was playing entering the Masters last year, which is a scary thought. He was the best player in the world, arrived here last year, improved it, and he's a half shot better compared to himself last year at this exact same time. So if you said, Hey, we'll put, you know, everything into a computer and spit it out who's going to win, it's, it's probably Scotty Scheffler. But, you know, you opened this interview talking about what would you like to see coming down the stretch on Sunday. And in this world of split professional golf, the guy who has been the loudest voice for the tour side of things, for this idea of meritocracy and what the new world order is going to look like, it's Rory McIlroy. And not only completing the career grand slam, but to do it in an emphatic way um, I think would be the ultimate story. Now we've seen Rory have the opportunity to tell a lot of those types of stories before, and he doesn't necessarily get it across the line or have that sort of killer instinct, but If the golf course gets wet and it gets soft, it plays more into his hands and his length off the tee. Um, So I went more with the great story than necessarily the best one at the end there because, again, head says Scheffler, heart says Rory. I went with the heart at the end, and let's see if we can get it done.
5: Now, how about this... uh Mike Weir, I kind of like that because Michael Weir is the lead singer of The Elect, and they're fabulous. I love seeing them at the Beer
4: Garden. I think uh, Michael Weir of The Elect could beat Mike Weir the Golfer. Sandy yeah, Lyle, I <laughs> think was it?
5: That. Sandy Lyle was the name of the character that Philip Seymour Hoffman played in Along Came Polly, and I liked
4: him. He's so going to
2: play probably wearing suspenders, Jake. So it's worth t- it's worth tuning in to see Sandy in the
4: suspenders. Yeah, his outfit is a must every year. And how, yeah, how old absolutely. is how old is Sandy? Uh, he's probably got to be uh, one I of the oldest in him. the field, if not the yeah, oldest. He's- yeah, sixty plus there. Yeah, yeah What do we got yeah. Bernhard Langer. Yeah, he's oh, yeah he, Larry
2: like, Mize. Six this year, and Langer could still make the cut, which is just insane how good he's playing.
5: No, see, I, I'm gonna. I was looking at him. I'm impressed by him. I think he's 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 on a hot streak.
4: Yeah, you know the <laughs> Champions Tour. Jake's just locked into that weekend. Week, in, week so out. What we're getting at is you either go Cameron Young or three guys old, right? Sandy Lyle. Uh, VJ Singh. Well, Will's pulling out the heartstrings a little bit there. Jim Nance would love to see Rory walking up the seventy-second oh hole on Sunday with imagine? the lead.
2: He might retire from golf broadcasting if Seriously. that one happens. He might just walk it all off at that point in time. Yeah, yeah no, that that would be crazy. Hey, uh, keep, here's not here's a crazy name off the radar for him. I'm not saying he's going to win, but there's a 19-year-old amateur from Ooh, Vanderbilt, Mr. Sergeant. Sargent. He won the NCAA tournament last year, and they gave him an exemption. He hits it at Absolute mile off the tee. Um, I think he's going to make the cut. If you pay attention to a lot of metrics, he's already playing at an above-average professional level in college right now. I think he could make some noise this week and be somebody that we're talking about a little bit on the weekend and and maybe even you know vise for a a top-10 or a top-20 finish.
4: Yeah, his um, amateur career has been absolutely incredible so far. Gordon Sargent, definitely a name to watch. Will, great stuff, man. And it sounds like uh, if it works for you, we'll uh, have you back on Monday to recap it all.
2: Oh, I thought we're gonna are we gonna have our weekend Twitter date again to argue about Lamar Jackson I versus I, I, rookie quarterback? So for, are you but,
4: are you chips in the table for Lamar? Is that what I was seeing there? No, no. My question is if you if
2: you truly feel like you should have matched the Carolina Panthers' offer to go all into the number one pick, then why not the proven quarterback commodity? And I understand the salary cap stuff. Don't get me wrong. I understand the money aspect of it. But you can't want one and not then sort of want the other if you were really chipped in. You want, in you want my answer not. on that,
5: Will? Go ahead. I think it is a subtle indictment by the Colts Brass over their an admission that their roster is not two to three years away. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. But if you move up if you move up to take the you know Bryce Young or CJ Stroud
2: number one, you're sort of mortgaging your future also in that one. So if they're not gonna do either, that I'm okay with that because you're saying we value our top picks to build a roster long-term. Which is what I I think think it is. Right, but I don't think you can say they should have done everything possible to get to number one, and then say, "Oh, yeah, but they shouldn't." This is too much of a price tag to go get Lamar Jackson. It's either it's either both right. or it's none, in yeah. my opinion.
4: Hey, I think playing style—you can't ignore that too. The staying power of a CJ Stroud is more of a pocket guy versus the yeah. staying oh. power of a Lamar Jackson into his thirties. Uh, enjoyed that let's back go and go forth. Go
2: hooker, second round. Let's go hand and hooker. Let's go. Come on, let's <laughs>
6: it. The,
5: and everybody's convinced they're the only franchise that's figured that out. That's what cracks me up, right?
4: stuff thank you halfway through the
5: eight o'clock hour jake quarry along with kevin bowen mark Dyckton here as well warm start to the morning which is a good thing not necessarily sun splash this morning but uh happy april to you connecticut your national champion the other big story we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks even though i feel like it's kind of cooled from the indianapolis side so i wanted the baltimore perspective and decided to reach out to Nestor Aparicio, who I met a couple of years ago on Radio Row at the Super Bowl and a kind of a lightning rod of Baltimore sports, which I love because he's not afraid to share his opinion. On all things Baltimore sports, he joins us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. WNST is where you can hear him in the state of Maryland. Nestor, let's begin with this. Good morning and thanks for your time. But from the Ravens' standpoint you know what's the the narrative or the thought process is this all smoke and lamar jackson's going to end up staying a raven or do you think they are actively looking to find him a home
3: elsewhere
0: well, I think there's definitely bruised feelings on both sides. Uh, I think they don't want an angry quarterback that's going to hold out of OTAs. I mean, Harbaugh's the guy that gets rung up by, by the league for practicing too much uh, you know, and, and breaking the rules in that way. That He doesn't like not having his quarterback around. He's got a new offensive coordinator. So it, it's a fascinating push and pull for everything that happened here over the last year, beginning with the OTAs, the fact that he's his own agent, which – Is its own nightmare that's built into this. Um, I mean, it's one thing to be your own agent when you're only negotiating with your team trying to get a deal. When you're trying to pit other teams against each other, this has been an epic failure uh, for him to maximize his value. Um, His agent has failed him as well, but he is his own agent, right? So same as a guy who has his own lawyer. But during the season, the injury... The fact that it looked like he made some business decisions during the year, and after the injury, the fact that the team told the NFL Network, told the media, he'll be back at Christmas, he'll be back for the playoffs, he'll be back, and he was really never heard from again. And when he was heard from, he was heard from on social media in very untoward ways. He went after a fan in Pennsylvania with some profane tweets um, after a loss, and really wasn't heard from much until... He announced his injury and said he was injured more than they said he was injured. And this is of course, after he didn't show up for the playoff game. And uh, there's two sides of that story as well as to why he wasn't just waving a towel at a playoff game as the franchise leader. So th- there's definitely problems in the relationship. Can they be solved? I, you know, that, that's between Lamar and the franchise at this point, I, I would say for, for him, and this last three, four weeks, I don't think the internet believes that there'd be no bidding on him. I don't, I'm don't. i not sure what Eric figured out in your fair a few weeks ago when Eric DaCosta was in town, sniffing around late night, talking to other general managers, other ownership groups, people saying, who wants him, what's the real price, where does the negotiation begin? And, of course, DeMar Smith screaming collusion, right? So this is as thick a, a story. I've been on the air here 31 years, I mean, I go back to not having a football team. Um, you know, being on the radio here, Cal Ripken, twenty-one thirty-one, Ray Lewis, all sorts of things. We had two parades here. I've never seen a story like this because I really don't know where it's going to end up. I just can't imagine he's going to happily roll back into camp in August and play for $32 million. That, that, the thought that that's going to happen here it seems foolish.
4: Nestor, when you bring up business decisions, you bring up him not showing up to the playoff game, You know, for us in this market, um, when Chris Mortensen talks, it, it carries a little bit of weight, and I say that because Jim Mursay and him have a very close relationship. Mortensen mentioned last week that, among other things, the contract, the draft picks you'd have to give up, there are some questions about nutrition and sleep habits when it comes to Lamar Jackson. Is that like
0: well-known in the Baltimore
4: area, and is that
0: true? Uh, you know what? That's the first I've heard of it. Now, keep in mind, Lamar doesn't do any interviews with anyone. The only time he sort of has stepped out of the box, Rolling Stone did an interview with him uh, that really worked into race and politics and, uh, and, and his friendship with Kodak Black, and it got kind of cut off instantly. So I've never really heard Lamar sit and talk about Anything really. His background, his thoughts, his hopes, his I, He's not. And he has no agent. He's his age. You know, like this notion that this guy was calling around with his goofy gym two weeks ago. Uh, the only nutrition we've seen with Lamar is that. We see that he's a kid that plays video games. He's a kid that hangs out on the internet. Uh, he had this great relationship with Hollywood Brown. He tweeted at the franchise last year in the middle of the draft WTF. When they traded Hollywood Brown, when everybody in the organization swears they told him that they were trading his buddy because his buddy has to be traded. So this has just turned into sort of a nightmarish scenario, I think, for Steve Bashotti and Eric Acosta and John Harbaugh, that they have this special kid, this special talent. They haven't been able to negotiate with him. He hasn't played a football game in December or January the last two years. He wants top of market because of what Jimmy Haslam did in Cleveland. And there's no one to negotiate with, including his mother, who's always been implicated as being, you know, a bit of a front for him. And, and obviously on draft night, you've seen the pictures of him in the green suit, in the green room, waiting, waiting, waiting until hearing his name called when the Ravens dealt back into the first round. Um, this has become a business problem for the Ravens, you know, in a way that, you know, maybe Andrew Luck leaving Indianapolis in the way he did became a problem for the franchise, but... Steve owns the team. Hardball feels like he has a job for life. Eric DaCosta waited 15 years to get the gig and has the gig now. Those are made guys, and they behave in every way with the media, in the town, with this arrogance that life will go on. I don't know. They haven't had a whole lot of 4 and 13s around here. We haven't drafted in the top 10 much in 27 years. But if it comes down to being held hostage for three, four, five years, by Lamar Jackson when whatever they know about Lamar Jackson is more than anybody else knows about Lamar Jackson. But I don't think they're of the mindset that he's going to come back and play for what the franchise tag is. And I think they're now thoughts are starting to wither that there's going to be any suitor that if Jim Irsay not the guy and if Arthur Blank's not the guy and if Stephen Ross wasn't the guy and if the Glazer brothers aren't the guys, who who wants to sign him? Who is going to give him what he wants? Which is, you know, in excess of $200 million of guaranteed money. And basically, the keys to your franchise for the next four to six years, depending on how you would structure a deal, where the guarantees would lie. And meantime, the Ravens aren't negotiating with themselves. The, the Ravens put him out there on this non-exclusive franchise to say, hey, go find your best deal. Go find a suitor. And it really is amazing, and it's amazing to the Players Association as well, how quickly the suitors all dried up. I mean, to our knowledge, Lamar never got on a plane, right? Lamar never flew and talked to anybody anywhere. You know, we monitor these jets, and everybody seems to know where Jim Ursay and the Jim Ursay collection are. I'm always looking for where Mike Mills and Mellencamp's band are, by the way. <laughs> um, but, but I, I, you know, I love Jim Ursay, by the way. I'm the Baltimore guy that has a relationship with him, but, I, I mean, I don't know why another team with a, a top-four draft pick would want to give away a draft unless they're absolutely in love with Lamar Jackson. And I don't think Lamar Jackson, the agent, has done him his client, Lamar Jackson, the player. Uh, it, it, this has been one of the worst agenting jobs in the history of the National Football League. When you look at his talent, his MVP trophy, where he is, where the franchise is, the fact that nothing ever got negotiated, and now... He's sitting here with this crazy bad franchise tag thing and no suitor in the league, and the the, the NFL Players Association in his ear saying, "You're being Kaepernicked here, dude. You know what I mean? You're you're you've been colluded against. They are suppressing your value and your salary uh, based on the system, and the system's eating him up right now." Do you
5: think Nester that Nester Apricio is our guest in Baltimore? He's on the Pale Suckers Hotline. Do you get the impression? I think sometimes organizations or franchises, you know, Baltimore's the Ravens have been a very good franchise. You know, they've been competitive virtually every year through through different rotations. And they, they seemingly, again, outside perspective, they have stability. You know, they have, we know who is in charge and, and they are, they seem to always have the right pieces. But when they have a dynamic talent like a Lamar Jackson, does an organization that has had success, then suddenly fool itself into thinking that the success is all theirs and that he is a guy that can immediately be replaced. In other words, hey, we're the Baltimore Ravens. You might have been an MVP, but we're the Baltimore Ravens. We'll just put another one in there, and they'll be an MVP because that's the culture that we have. Is that a dangerous thing to get into, but is there a chance that Baltimore feels that way in this situation?
0: Well, they're two-for-two picking quarterbacks going back to 08, right? I mean, they've nailed their quarterbacks without – having to suck. They haven't had to pick first, suck for luck, or whatever you guys did, right? Like, they haven't had that here, because Flacco was a guy they traded up to get. They fell in love with him. They saw him as a Division One quarterback who went to Pitt and fell out of favor and did everything he needed to do with Delaware. And then he came in and took him to the playoffs five years in a row and won a Super Bowl. Right? You could have won two. We should have been in Indianapolis if Billy Cund have made the kick had there been a timeout. We probably would have been the ones there that, that day. Right? So I, I can go back to that, and all of that is... Bishotti has made himself into a billionaire. Eric DaCosta has bided his time and still has Ozzie news. Ozzie still has an office in the building Ozzie's still there plenty Ozzie's still a part of what they do and then there's John Harbaugh who Eric DeCosta was in on the hiring process when John Harbaugh was hired in 2008 and my partner Brian Billick was thrown out and that's 15 16 seasons now ago that that happened so they've drafted two quarterbacks. They traded back into the first round. They listen. John was talking revolution around. He was like Fidel Castro and uh, and Shea Guevara coming out of the hill. revolution. Revolution. Now four years later, they've had this revolution where they can't sign wide receivers in the free agent market. They haven't done a very good job of drafting them. So putting talent around Lamar was a problem. They had a left tackle that was hurt for a year and a half, and now Lamar is a guy that. I think anybody who's watched him play, watched the style of football, he runs into linebackers. I didn't like that from the beginning. You know who else didn't like that? 31 other teams passed on him and said he runs into linebackers. That's not going to be a success, a, uh, a formula for success for us, that he's going to run the ball 12, 15 times. He ran the ball 21 times in an NFL game a year and a half ago and, and literally was never heard from again that season. So... The organization built everything around him, and then when it came time to pay him, they begged him to take their money the last two years and get to a market contract where he was making $40, $45, 48000000 million a year. He refused to do that because he was never top of class. And quite frankly, now that we see this play out, I'm not sure he had the sophistication level or the... Or the 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 people around him explaining to him what the risk reward ratio would be that lamar if you what happens if you don't play the end of the 21 season you get injured what happens if you don't play the end of the 22 season and you get injured who's going to want you well maybe jim ursay and maybe not and you know i saw kravitz's piece last week i had bob on my show as well i mean we're out of seats here i'm in baltimore i'm I'm, I'm thoned out. We're fatigued <laughs> here on the story, right? I mean, literally. That's why I call we called Lamar. you, Nestor. It's six months of talking about this, and at the end of the day, we're talking about whether a billionaire is going to want to front $200 million and the keys to his franchise to a guy who tweets poop emojis. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, literally. and And that's what his agent does. And I think this is... This has been a, a, a cautionary tale for guys without agents and how the business of the league really works. And the Players Association is going to be heard from. They're going to scream bloody murder throughout all of this. But this is, to your point, this is exactly what the Baltimore Ravens have managed to avoid. Since Ray Lewis was in handcuffs, right? And Jamal Lewis had some off-the-field issues. They had a kid die in the middle of camp last year. I mean, a, a veteran guy... Was found dead, and there, you know, you can Google that Jalen Ferguson. I mean, they, this is a franchise that's had Ray Rice punch his wife in a glass elevator, and then everybody no speaky to no seated until it was Week One, and it's all on TMZ. So, this is an organization that's had problems, it's had drama, but it never invites drama. And to me, thinking you're going to have a disgruntled quarterback play for thirty two million, who's ghosted and who's out on the internet. In the, literally attacking the coach as he's coming to the podium to sit down at the owners' meetings by dropping the "I've asked for a trade" tweet. I mean, th- it's it's really a war between the two of them right now. And the only thing that can save them is Jim Irsay, Arthur Blank. I mean, you, you name these guys, and then after the draft, what might happen? The Ravens are going to draft a quarterback. I don't think there's any question about that. No, whether it's Stetson Bennett or you know, whoever it would be, that's not in that that top tier, but They're preparing for life after Lamar. It's always, I mean, Baker Mayfield said that they cornered him, right? Um, And they tried to spend $30 million on Darius Slay uh, to play cornerback. So they were a little more quietly active behind closed doors in regard to what his cap number represents for them to have to cut football players. They couldn't re-sign Calais Campbell. They can't re-sign Marcus Peters right now because of his cap number. This is not a team. Steve Bashotti did not become a billionaire, and Harbaugh and and, and DaCosta did not gain their arrogance and this level of respect that you have for them out of town by allowing their quarterback to hold the franchise hostage. Like, seriously. And that's kind of where this has been for quite some time now and i i can't imagine that the franchise is going to sign up for six more months of this leading up to the first week of football
4: lamar sending out poop emojis Uh, we're trying to get our, our daughter not to say the word poop right now so i guess i can empathize with the ravens organization a little bit on that front all right Nestor, last one from me um Week one, Lamar Jackson is under center for the Baltimore Ravens, or are you taking the field? He's somewhere else.
0: <laughs> I did opening day at the local casino here, and, you know, it's all new betting, gambling. I'm not a betting guy. Whoever's listening to me knows that, but I actually went up to the window and said, can I bet on this? <laughs> you know, like, I, I really, because it's worth betting on, I can't fathom the Ravens are going to sign on for more than this. I can't fathom that Lamar comes back with his tail between his legs and says, okay, I'll just take $130 million guaranteed. Would he play on the franchise tag? Man, I I can't imagine he will. I thought it was bad business for him to do it last year. When you add his money next to Josh Allen's money, he made almost $100 million less than a guy drafted into in the class And he's the MVP because he's done a poor job of negotiating for himself. He played for $25 million less than he should have last year. I mean, he's already way upside down, and maybe nobody wants him, right? I mean, uh, not, it, it, I think he could hold out, and I think he might not play, and I think the Players Association may be baking up something that's litigation-oriented. I mean, we're not – the sad part, it's Lamarathon, but we're we're not at the end of this. I mean, I don't think anything's going to happen quickly because Jimmy Ursay didn't bite, right? You guys are on the phone with me because of that. So nobody's biting on this, so they're kind of stuck with him, and he's stuck with them, and I think that that's – That's not good for either one of them, but certainly it's not comfortable territory for the Ravens organization going into a season feeling like who's our quarterback.
5: Nestor, final minute here. I've got to ask. I mean, during the 2012 Super Bowl on Radio Row, um, I thought you – I wouldn't say that you were the star of Radio Row, but your little Bob Ursay doll was. You had a a small, kind of cute little doll of Bob Ursay that you – uh, the late Bob Ursay, the owner of the Baltimore Colts, then the Indianapolis Colts that you... I think you took around, took them around to different landmarks in town. and took Dude, I have
0: pictures of, of him with Don Shula and stuff. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so do you still have the little doll? You know, I had it until last year. Uh, I do business with a place called Nacho Mamas here. You can go oh, yeah. to a couple locations. There's a Nacho Mamas in Towson... That and, and and Scunny was the founder who, who passed away about 10 years ago. He's an old friend of mine, uh, old Baltimore Ocean City guy who collected stolen Memorial Stadium stuff and Natty Bow stuff and Elvis stuff. It's kind of a kitschy place, and I donated it to, to them. He sits, little Bob is at the bar in Towson. <laughs> big Bob, big Bob, there's an original Bob. Mike Rosigliano is the artist who made them, he was the longtime Baltimore son sports cartoonist and dear friend of mine he made a papier-mâché version of Bob back in 84, 85 it face got punched in at Schaefer's Bar it was gifted back to me when the franchise came and I brought its head on a stick uh, into your square and, and took it through uh, the, a Circle Center uh, back in 96 when Jim Harbaugh was your quarterback so the original's in a casket at Nacho Mama's in Canton on the wall oh, yeah, it's painted like a Mayflower box, truck
5: right? It,
0: I'm sorry, say that again?
5: The casket is painted like a Mayflower truck.
0: No, it's just a little black. I don't... Nah, it's not like that. I'll bet
5: that. you on that. But, it was when he, I was there, at least. Really? Yeah. Okay, man, I, I haven't been to Canton in a couple And weeks, it's got so. a Don Schaefer quote on the side that says, he lied and
0: died. So, he like, did, no hard correct. feelings. That That is... That's correct. You should see what they did to art in Cleveland, dude. <laughs> <laughs> But see. if you want to see the Beanie Bob, it's at the back bar at uh, Not Your Mom. It's, and it's real cute, and it has dollar bills coming out of it, and, you know, it's all good. Beautiful, beautiful. Nestor, I, t- Great I
5: stuff, the, Nestor. Of, our, of the three of us here, I'm the one that took the Orioles to win more games than the Diamondbacks or the A's, and I got a six-pack of PBR riding on it. So go, cute fella, go, birds.
0: Bad things have happened to the birds to start the season here, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we have the best player in the world, Adley Rutschman. Just ask anyone. All right. Nestor, love the energy. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Have a great week.